Welcome to SEC Football Live. My name is Braden Gall. You can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall, of course. Please give us a subscription as well here on the YouTube page. We do appreciate your support. Today on the show, the LSU Tigers. One of the most fascinating teams in the entire conference and probably in the entire country. And we turn to good friend of the program, T-Bob Bear, of course, host there off the bench on ESPN Radio in Baton Rouge. And of course, snaps everywhere you get your programs. Uh, great personality. Yes, we always talk and joke about our children and movies and nerd out on those things as well. But we talk a lot of LSU football today because honestly, Brian Kelly, all he's done in two years is recruit really well, win a division, beat Alabama and win a Heisman Trophy. But where's the program heading? How good is the defense going to be? Has he fixed the secondary? What about the coaching staff? What's the coaching staff going to look like after major changes on both sides of the ball? And of course, it's the Garrett Nussmeyer era. It's underway in Baton Rouge. And so there's a ton of questions about this team as we enter spring practice. And I thought nobody better to hang out with than T-Bob. Always a character, always fun talking with them. So we got a lot of LSU talk today on the show. So stick around. If you want to listen to it on in podcast form, you can check us out each and every place you get your podcast rate review and subscribe and again give us a subscription right here on the 440 sports youtube page we do appreciate it the lsu tigers preseason top 15 number 13 in our rankings you can check out our preview video but what 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 are our expectations for this team how good can they be how how much better can the defense be and should the offense regress all these things answered and more with t-bob here was my conversation with the great t-bob a bear T-Bob, man, thank you so much for giving us some time. We do appreciate it. Welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Brain, what's up, man? Uh, do very well. Just uh, hanging out, getting ready to go to my uh, little brother's bachelor party. Oh, nice. Tomorrow, so it's going to be fun. A, a full weekend of uh, drinking and fishing awaits me. Where? Very excited. Am I allowed to ask where? Yeah, just somewhere in Florida. I don't know where exactly. <laughs> it's all the same. It's all the same. Um, I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm very uh, kind of detail agnostic. When it comes to travel in that many times I uh, go on vacations and I don't know exactly where I'm going until I get there. Like, I'll know the state that we planned. I'll know the oh. general area, maybe. But uh, yeah, so I don't really know completely. I think I'm landing in Fort Lauderdale. That where we go good. after that, that no one knows. I think that's the right landing spot in the entire state of Florida, because if you want to go to the panhandle, you just go to Alabama if you want. And and the, and South Florida, well, that's like a whole other country. And that's way more fun. So I, you're <laughs> going to have a lot of fun. You're going to have a lot of I'm fun. I'm excited, dude. I'm excited for sure. Uh, so I, I, I want to get started with really broad question about sort of Brian Kelly's first two seasons yeah. at, at LSU. Because, look, this guy had insane track record of success, winning his coach in Notre Dame history. He comes in, wins a division, beats Bama in year one, wins a Heisman Trophy in year two. But national championships is what LSU is expecting to compete for. So can you try to explain exactly how fans have uh, have viewed the first two seasons through like two really great accomplishments and two pretty damn good football teams, but maybe not to the exact thing, the exact level that LSU expects? What Where are fans with Brian Kelly entering year three? Uh, I, I think really, I mean, I, I well, right now, like as of this second today, it's very positive in that the fly in the ointment if you will over the first two years was really last year's defense like there there are certainly other quibbles right um losing to florida state to open the season two years in a go two years in a row and really losing in the manner that you did which we now know like 
there's no shame in losing to those FSU teams, right? Like no program has had a greater rise or comeback than is FSU since when you played them two years ago to open the season to how we think about them now, right? But LSU looked kind of woefully underprepared for both games. They didn't really understand their personnel that well. Like after both of those season openers, you had pretty wide sweeping personnel changes made immediately that ended up paying dividends. So, so really like, I, I would say that's been kind of one of the negative is like what's going on during camp when it comes to evaluating your team and understanding what pieces you do have. But the only like real, just hardcore, this is a negative um, was last year's defense, right? Because otherwise you're talking about you beat Alabama in year one, which never happens. And you beat Nick Saban, you win the sec West, you end up winning 10 games. Um, and year number two, you win a Heisman Trophy, second one in five years with just this insane over-the-top offense, but the defense kind of ruined everything. And then you enter the offseason, and when you evaluate that defense, you saw a lot of players that were more talented and that we know, like a lot of these players we've seen have way more success on the college level. Others we just imagine are more talented than it looked like the product that was being put on the field. So then what does that mean? That means coaching, right? Um, maybe some subpar coaching was, was kind of dragging a lot of those performances down. And so for the longest time this off season, it looked as if, uh, they were going to retain Matt house and that staff. And that was starting to create quite a bit of anger. Right. <laughs> I'd even heard that, like, maybe some of the bigger money guys were like, you know, Hey, look, coach, you know, when, when, when somebody screws up. And in in our business, right? We don't we don't fire the underlings, yada yada yada. So then the news comes though that they're getting rid of Matt House. They completely remake the defensive staff. They go and get the fan favorite Blake Baker from Mizzou that everybody wanted. They go and hire Bo Davis, which around these parts, Bo Davis yep, is an LSU yep. guy, and it's been like dreamed of for years that he would one day come to LSU. That finally happens. <laughs> so basically, what I'm getting at is. It's a long-winded way of saying, like, if you're objective, the two years from what he took over, right, a team that had been sub-500 the two years previous, to go 10 wins each of the two years, to take over a squad that had 39 scholarship players and now have it where it's at, and then um, to remake the coaching staff, all with guys, and even bring back Corey Raymond, the godfather of DBU, with, like, fan favorites, and then to have the recruiting momentum that you do where this 24 class ended up really solid. Um, Great job getting Louisiana guys, right? Class number one, in which you only had a couple months, you get four of the top 10 players. Class number two is first full year. You get 10 of the top 11 players in the state right now. uh, You're expected to have the top eight players in the state committed to 25, along with the number one quarterback, number one receiver. So like the point is these last few weeks, it has been a heater of a new cycle for Brian <laughs> Kelly. And so confidence is really at an all-time high, um, which is interesting because there are some personnel deficiencies still with next year's team, but Kelly has painted year three as the year in which the yeah. the big step should be taken, uh, the, the next big step should be taken. Well, and we'll get to the offense, but it's interesting you go with the defense because I think, I mean, Blake Baker, Bo Davis, we know how good those guys are, the track records, and obviously there's plenty of talent to, to your point. Um, but I think what's interesting about this you know, he was very Brian Kelly was very specific, in my opinion, using that 10 win mark as like the benchmark, because in the new SEC yeah. with the new playoff, that 10 win mark. And, and again, this applies to Missouri, to Ole Miss, to Tennessee next year, maybe even to Oklahoma, certainly to, to the top teams, LSU, Texas, Georgia, Alabama, et cetera. Like all you, you can lose a couple times now. And yeah. if you get and if you get to that 10 win mark, 
you are in the playoff. Now, how good are you when you enter the playoff? That That's a big deal. That's going to be sort of like an NFL-style evaluation of how you evolve throughout the course of the season. But when you look at the coaching staff and you look at the roster and you look at the team, certainly we'll get to the offense in a second. But defensively, is this team good enough to just be average in the SEC and then therefore gives them a chance to make a playoff? It's tough to say. And and for everybody listening, when we say 10 wins, uh, 10 and 2 in the regular right, season right. will likely guarantee you a spot. You may see the odd 9 and 3 team sneak in, depending on how everything Agreed. shakes out, especially yeah. with the new spot opened up with the, with the death of the Pac-12. But um, yeah, I it's tough to say right now in this defense, man, because... Okay, if 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 you want to be bearish about it, uh, they still have, like I said, they don't really have any proven defensive backs necessarily. Now, I like some of the potentials of the guys you saw last year. And Brian Kelly basically said, like, look, we have like 17 scholarship DBs or something around there. Like somebody's got to step up and they're right. going to. Because they're like, why? And I'm actually not that worried about the defensive backfield, but but the point stands, you don't have real proven assets there. Uh, most importantly, you have a real dearth of interior defensive linemen. I mean, I want to say you've got like three on the roster right now. And yeah, you got a couple, you know, highly recruited guys and Gabriel Relaford and uh, Dominic McKinley coming in, but like you never want to be relying on freshmen in the trenches. It's just an awful place to be the majority of the time. <laughs> um, so there are still very real, personnel issues that I would say that that would maybe again make you feel negative about the situation if you want to spin it positively and pump some sunshine um you just continue to go back to the coaching right um in that yeah. last year you didn't even have a defensive line coach Jimmy Lindsay got sick right before the season started you end up throwing John Jancic in there randomly and it's like the D-line looked awful. Now you have one of the best in the business doing it. Um, defensive backs, right? You bring back Corey Raymond, again, the literal godfather of the title of DBU yeah. at LSU. You know, the guy who's trained up multiple first-rounders, all-Americans. And then Blake Baker. And this is why I think, again, if you want to pump sunshine, why Blake becomes exciting. And this is kind of like an LSU deep cut. Like, nobody listening nationally is really probably going to remember the sequence. But Damone Clark, under Bo Pelini, was your starting middle linebacker. And he was awful. I'm talking about some of the worst tape I had ever seen yeah. Um, yeah. in my life. And then Blake Baker comes in to coach linebackers the next year under Durante Jones and Damone Clark explodes. Um, he ends up having like 130 something tackles. Like he becomes a first team all SEC player. Like he, it, the, the, the transformation was probably unlike any single year improvement I've ever seen outside of Joe Burrow and or Jaden Daniels. Like it was like the defensive equivalent of that. And that falls solely at the feet of Blake Baker. So the hope would be that he could take that transformation and somehow manage to apply it at large to the defense as a whole. Yeah. And uh, look, it can't be worse, right? I mean, <laughs> no, like no, no, literally cannot be worse than what you had to witness last year. Yeah, all you got to do is be like middle of the pack in, yeah. in the conference because, you know, the offense, it's unreasonable w without the coordinator and the star quarterback and two elite receivers going to the NFL. It is unreasonable to expect them to accomplish what they accomplished last year. I, I said this to Tennessee fans all last summer. I said, Hendon Hooker, you can't be the greatest quarterback in like most productive quarterback in the history of your school. And then everyone's just going to expect the next guy to be as good. That's just not fair. Now, you've happened. LSU's happened to have two of those guys in the yeah, last crazy. five, five yeah. years, which is nuts. But Garrett Nussmeyer takes over. But ultimately, he has to make some changes because Mike Denbrock leaves to go up to Notre Dame. 
What do we know about the guys and the coaching staff and the offense and the scheme? The offensive line, in my opinion, is better than it's been at this stage of the calendar year in quite some time. Certainly the traditional run rushing attack for LSU has not been what it was under previous coaching staffs. Jaden Daniels made up for that, right, with a lot of his yeah. ability. So what do we know about, about Sloan and Hankton and what we think this offense will look like with a new coach, two new coaches, a new quarterback, but also a, a strength along the offensive line, something they maybe haven't had in the last five, six years? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the O-line, both in terms of where it was last year, this year, the recruits you're bringing in, the projected future, the offensive line has never been in a better spot than I've ever seen since I've been watching LSU. And you've had some real high moments in that time, but that's maybe BK's greatest strength. Because LSU's not traditionally had great offensive lines. Like Even if you look at uh, some of the national championship teams of the past, like 2011, 2007, uh, like there, there was no guys that even played in the league, right? Right now you have a few guys they'll end up playing the league for a while. So that's going to help out any coordinator and quarterback immensely. The lar um, although, although we do have to acknowledge the largest baby ever born in the state of Louisiana, right? Wasn't that Lel? Herman Johnson. Dude. Or Herman Johnson. No, that's right. Herman, Herman Johnson, Johnson back in the day, dude. <laughs> like 16 uh, pounds. Legend. Yeah. He's, he's about 15 pounds when he was Unbelievable. born. Maybe 16. Unbe it was unreal. <laughs> Large baby in Louisiana history. But um, so the O-line's in a great spot, which is going to help out all this new, right? In terms of going from Denbrock to court to, to Sloan and Hankton, it's tough to say, man, uh, because all we have to pull from is a bowl game against a Wisconsin defense that was not very good. Now, I love what the offense did in that game, and I love what I saw out of Garrett Nussmeyer. And it's not the raw stats, right? Like, raw stats, he threw for 395 and three touchdowns. That's that's good. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's the situational success that makes me feel good about Nussmeyer in that twice in that game, you go down 14, you get the ball back with six minutes left. You're staring down 98 yards of field. You need a touchdown to win the game. You likely know with your defense, that's going to be your last possession. And so for Nuss and the offense to lock in, go get that win, uh, fight, you know, finish that drive, hit the 10 win mark. That speaks a lot to me about the potential there. Um, but it is potential. And as you said, you cannot expect it to be nearly as good as last year, especially when you're losing Brian Thomas, you're losing Malik neighbors as well. And so it becomes a weird thing where yes, the defense should improve, but we also know the offense is going to regress. And so it becomes kind of a, how good this team will be becomes a, uh, a weighing of the scales between these two elements yeah. in that can defensive improvement make up for whatever the offensive progression is. And if you want to get even better overall, Maybe the offense maintains a bit more. Maybe the defense improves a lot more than we expect. Like that's what it's going to take yeah. if you want to climb higher than you did last year. So I want you as a as an athlete to sort of explain because I find it I've had to explain this to people for years that it, it is so and and I cover the Tennessee Titans here locally in Nashville. Yeah. And and Malik Willis was the guy that came off the bench to to fill in for Ryan Tannehill. But ultimately no one everyone knew that Will Levis, former Kentucky quarterback, was going to be the guy. And it's because you don't when you when you prep as a guy who is the guy, the number one clear cut starter, it is just different than prepping to be the guy in case of emergency. And I, I say all that to say that Garrett Nussmeyer and there's some other names in the SEC. Again, Nico got the start for Tennessee, but like it's so different prepping as a backup to Jaden Daniels and knowing what your job is supposed to do and knowing sort of how to execute an offense to the best of your abilities versus you're the number one in practice every day. You're the number one in meetings. You're the one, you're the number one with the coordinator. Like how different is it when you know that it's your job 
and you can kind of focus on everything you got to do versus, hey, I know I'm I'm here to support Jaden Daniels. Like, is, does that make sense? Like, yeah, no, 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 it, absolutely. Well, and it's one of the cooler parts about uh, kind of the bowl setup now is um, for those, you know, for the fan bases that really like are, are into this sort of stuff. Uh, you you get almost these like previews of next season's team and next season's potential and what those like this was a tryout yeah um in the public eye for Nico Yamaliava and and Garrett Nussmeyer and I think both of them passed, Jackson but, Jackson Arnold at Oklahoma yes it, like and and he was in a fucking to- a pol- sorry uh he was you, in no you can po- say whatever you fucking oh want. okay 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 cool okay okay uh he was in a, like an impossible spot too with like the entire yeah. offensive line being replaced and whatnot um but your point uh holds a lot of merit because Jaden Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer's game plans are not the same. Now, if 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 Garrett Nussmeyer is preparing as the backup, he has to be ready to kind of run the elements that are in the game plan. But if you are creating a bespoke plan for Garrett Nussmeyer, that's going to look vastly different yep. than that of Jaden Daniels. And then who's getting the reps of practice, right? If you're a backup normally, um, you're not going to get a lot of reps of practice because why would you, right? That's kind of wasted. It's not wasted motion, um, but it's also, you know, you have finite resources, and you have to allocate them in the best way possible. And so, um, yeah, to me, it, it comes from a game planning standpoint, and then it comes from a um, a repetition standpoint where where you find the biggest differences. And, and there's also the mental element of if you're the backup, you know you got to be ready, and you try to do everything you say to I got to be ready. But at the end of the day, you kind of know there's a pretty good chance that you're not going to touch the field, right? And then when you do, it's like, bam, all of a sudden you have to just, okay, wow, out of nowhere. Whereas if you're the starter, uh, you could say it's more pressure, less pressure, whatever. But, like, you know it's much more clear cut in terms of what your role is going to be. So those would be the three elements that I would say represent kind of the largest difference uh, between the two situations. Uh, Any – I mean – I don't know about you. I've never worried about receivers and running backs at LSU. It's never been a position that I've been concerned with. Again, there's going to be a whole lot of new faces, but I, I imagine the offense a little bit more pocket centric. I mean, it's not that Nussmeyer's not yeah. a little athletic, but like a little bit more pocket centric. But to do that, and again, the offensive line a lot will allow them to do that. Um, who are the names that you like to to develop around Garrett Nussmeyer in the offense? Um. I think uh, like Chris Hilton is definitely a name to look out for on the outside. Um, He's someone who has kind of been knocking on the door for a while right now. Uh, Got outshadowed a little bit by the two first round picks and Malik neighbors and Brian Thomas jr. Um, And he's like, and, and he is a, he is a speedster. I mean, he is uh, probably the fastest guy on the entire team. Uh Stefan Sullivan or not Stefan Sullivan. Why am I blank right now? Oh, it's another <laughs> SS. I have too much LSU in my mind. Stefan Sullivan's from like years ago. Um uh Kate God, what, what's his name? Whatever. Uh Caden Durham is uh, a big time running back that you should be on the lookout for. Um but you're not worried about the supporting cast. No, so this is what's kind of interesting, man. If I'm just being completely honest right now. I mean, you got Savian Thomas to transfer in from Mississippi State. He's going to be recording. And, like, no, I'm not particularly worried about the weapons. But then again, now that we're, like, talking about it, like, I'm not really able to call too many of the weapons to mind. 
off the top of my head. Um, maybe just in poor offseason form here, but I think <laughs> LSU at it this is, point it is Feb- it is February T. <laughs> I think well, I think LSU at this point, like especially under Cortez Hankton, the last couple of years has proven that um on the outside they can uh kind of re-up and replace, right? Yeah. So uh, I Chris Hilton's definitely the main name that I'm looking out there uh, most for. Um, oh, Kyron Lacey, right? Kyron Lacey's back. Duh. Who is someone who, he's a giant. And he looks like physically maybe the most imposing receiver on the team. He just had some problem with drops last year. Yeah. So Lacey, Hilton, and then you have a ton of just like highly recruited guys that are going to be trying to climb over one another to uh, to get into that, to get in that last role. So I argue with uh, a particular unnamed former LSU Tiger who works for the mothership uh, currently who likes to get into the Twitter sewers and debate things. I, I, I love him to death, by the way. But he always tells me that Florida and LSU is not nearly the game that people think it is. Like, I think fans around the conference love that mm. game. I I have been trying to convince people for years. This has years. to be one of the old heads. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely an old head. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I I... I have been convincing people for years, and this does, I think, cross generations, that I think the Texas A&M LSU thing runs so much deeper to people that are not from the I-10 area and don't know that rivalry, don't know the baseball history, and don't know Katrina displacing mass communities of people to the Houston area. Like The overlap of communities in the A&M and LSU thing runs so much deeper than I think other SEC fans around the conference understand. Is if you had to obviously Bama's a huge rival, Florida's a rival. We know Ole Miss and Arkansas. We know all the rivals that LSU has. They're great, but is A and M the one that actually like gets people the most pissed off right now? Just in general, am I right to say that that is well, well, underrated? I think I think that A and M makes A and M's interesting, right? Because it's maybe not like some of these other schools, like, you know, you've played uh, Ole Miss a million times, right? You've played uh, Mississippi State a million times, Alabama and everything. And it's like you took a break from playing A&M for a while, right? Uh, Then they re-enter the league and they basically tried to manufacture it where they're like, okay, well, now LSU and A&M, y'all are going to be rivals. However, this is one of those rare times where this almost like corporate sort of initial pairing takes on a much more organic and uh, uh, feel and, and absolutely works. Uh, and, and you mentioned it, right? There is the Katrina displacement element. There's the largest LSU alumni population is in Houston, right? So the two fan bases are constantly butting up against one another. You're competing over the same recruits. Um, you have a lot of interesting story elements, like the drama of like John Chavis leaving Goa A&M. <laughs> Later, there were like lawsuits about the contract, uh, Johnny football coming to town and getting shut down every time he did um, the seven overtime game with Joe Burrow and yeah, yeah. Jimbo Fisher's nephew being punched. So it's weird because <laughs> it's almost like you've microwaved this A&M thing, but it came out delicious. And I, 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 it's, it's still tough to speak for everybody in terms of who is most hated, um, simply because, like I said, like the guy who said that Florida wasn't a big deal when I was in school, Florida was the biggest deal, yeah, right? Yeah. And then through my years, it kind of transferred to Alabama within my five years of college. But like my favorite win of all time was winning at the Swamp in 2010. So, so LSU does have this weird thing, and then like my grandpa. He was always like pissing Ole Miss, right? Like fuck yeah, Ole yeah, Miss yeah. over everybody. Yeah. So, so LSU has this weird thing where there's not like an iron bowl 
Alabama Auburn feel. But going into this next era, when we talk about keeping the rivalries, I would imagine if we stick with this one team rival, if you know, until you move to a nine game schedule and ESPN wants to pay, I think AM absolutely makes uh the most sense to be that for LSU. And and that's one thing, you know, to Kelly. That's one thing that he really has to take advantage of here is both in recruiting and on the field. Um, Saban leaving is massive, right? In terms of the power vacuum, in terms of him no longer coming in Louisiana for players. Uh, but Jimbo's gone too. And Jimbo, uh, especially in recruiting, was a menace. I mean, he's the only other coach in the country that had multiple number one classes while Nick Saban was recruiting. And so there is nobody better positioned geographically than LSU to take advantage of both Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher yeah. leaving yeah. in the same year. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like we, I don't love like the off season listicles where we rank the coaches and everything, but yeah, because it's Kirby smarts world that we're all living in. But I mean, I, I think Brian Kelly is very clearly the second best coach in the conference right now, which means he has to be finishing with recruiting classes are close to second best in the conference right now. Uh, and it means they need to be start. They need to finish in the top two or three in the conference moving forward. And 20, uh, 25 is going to be interesting. Yeah. And look, Kelly knows, dude, he's got to win in that, right? The last three coaches at LSU has done it. That's very clearly the bar. It's very clearly why he came here because he had never done so before. Yep. Um, I ended up really loving, uh, and I don't care about recruiting micro. I only care about the macro, uh, but I ended up really loving this, this 24 class. Um, it's maybe, I think they finished like seven or eight in the industry rankings, depending on where you look. Uh, but it's, it's built in a lot of ways that the LSU national championship teams of the past have been, which is just like a ton of foundational Louisiana four stars. And then, so now you look forward to 25 and maybe that's where you, you start to build on that foundation and you add the flash. And like you said, you are coming in one or two in the conference of recruiting. You are one or two in the country, potentially. Um, and, and, and recruiting. And then, you know, you hope that, that eventually pays dividends uh, into finishing one or two in the country and in the SEC, even though, yeah, Kirby also looks like just, you know, uh, like he stands unopposed essentially at this point. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Uh, from, a, I'll, I'll let you go on this, man. We appreciate your time. And, um, yeah, I, I could ask you about Lord of the Rings for another 30 minutes if you wanted to, but we, we, we're, we're busy. Um, uh, we're busy. What you got back there? <laughs> Never far from my heart. There you I go. Have all my, uh, I have all my nerd stuff. In this yeah, song. there. And, and it's not that your your audience, of course, knows all about that. But my audience probably doesn't know that you and I have spent a couple of nights uh, debate, debating <laughs> yeah. when to show our children uh, the Gollum scene uh, over a few brown waters uh, during media days. But I, I, I like. I, I have to like constantly remind myself not to like blow my load too early with showing my kids Lord of the Rings, right? Because I want to. No, you're wrong. Appreciate it. You're I'm wrong. thinking, I'm th see, I'm thinking, dude, I think I'm going to wait till my daughter's like nine. nine how how old are they right now? How old are they? Right Six. Now? I got six, four and one. My, my, mine are seven and seven and five. Yeah. They have, they at, at seven and five, they have seen the entire trilogy three times. What? Yes. What? Yes. The youngest Bro, one, badass. the youngest one was scared. I, I didn't say that, uh, <laughs> but, but I, I will say it's super easy to, to tell kids like, look, this is a bunch of like this is all made up shit now i don't yeah. use that i don't use that word but it's like 
Like, my, no, my kids, my kids ran around the house for two years pretending to be Legolas and Aragon, just like fighting the whole time. That is sick, dude. I yeah. got, um, I got, uh, like, I got hair. She's like, I got hair like Legolas. Like, they love Legolas. They're all my, in on my, my daughter is, uh, my oldest daughter is obsessed with Harry Potter right now. I put her on the Harry Potter Lego video game. And so, all right. A few months ago, she was too scared to move on to Chamber of Secrets because, like, the big spider and stuff freaked her oh, out. Yeah. But now she's, now she's into it. So <laughs> we'll see. Well, they, they, I think they don't know this that they love Leg Legolas because also they've seen all of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and of course the same guy is yeah do they know the that that's guy. Orlando Bloom I mean <laughs> they, those they, they do not look alike <laughs> they don't, uh, they don't. At, at all they don't all right well let me let you hold on last I'm sorry last no no yeah. here. that was Orlando Bloom's first job out of acting school Lord of the Rings and, yes what can you fathom graduating from acting school Jesus. and then you land the biggest trilogy of all time the movie that would go on to gross billions to go 11 for 11 at the Oscars after Return of the King. I mean, you want to talk about a quick come up. My man just graduated and went straight to the top. K Kansas City is going to trade up draft Brock Bowers and Brock Bowers <laughs> is going to take over for Travis Kelsey and is going to be the Orlando Bloom of the yeah, NFL. Straight up. <laughs> That's how I bring oh, it back to it. SEC football, baby. That's how I do that. I want to let you go on this just out of curiosity. You know, we've got a whole new era of football. We got new coaches. Saban's gone. Harbaugh's gone. We got a new format. We got no divisions. We got two new teams. The portal and the NCAA and Congress is all going batshit crazy. Is there a thing? We talk about all this stuff all the time. But is there a thing that we're not talking about as a as a group of SEC people and fans and media that we sort of are missing? Like a, a thing that's going to play a bigger role in the future of the conference that maybe we haven't figured out yet? Because I'm, I'm racking my brain for this stuff. Um. I I mean, I think there's too much hand wringing over it because I think it's all fucking awesome. I I love the insane off the rails nature of it. I think <laughs> I'm probably biased because as a content creator, uh, which sounds douchey, <laughs> right? But like you're a radio you, host. You're a radio yeah, host. like the fucking news cycle provides in a way that it never has before. It never ends. You yeah. just have like players, like big players that we know, like constantly switching sides and, and, and the mat and just like the, the, the obscure nature of NIL where nobody ever actually knows the truth of who has how much money and who's being paid. What? Like, I love it. Um, and also we're kind of witnessing the shattering of the NCAA firsthand. Like, you know, the NCAA may have won the first, uh, first contact with Tennessee the other day as the judge denied that restraining order. But if you actually read the ruling, like it meant nothing like the restraining order was just denied because Tennessee didn't prove that it caused irrevocable harm. The NCAA coming after yeah. them. Uh, but the judge also basically said like justice Kavanaugh did years ago in that letter that the NCAA is fucked because yeah. their yeah. system is illegal. And so like any of the, th this is the thing, any of the friction that we're experiencing right now is really born of the fact that we had an illegal setup that we accepted as the yeah. right way to do things for a hundred years. And so of course there's going to be insane repercussions and ripple effects when this all changes. But I mean, I'm honestly going to be kind of bummed whenever 
players like uh, unionize and then you have like a CBA and then you have like more codified rules. Like, no, I am loving the insane wild West nature right now. Well, we got about four or five or six years of this chaos. And then, like you said, it's all going to be collectively bargained revenue sharing agreements with above, above there'll be a website with everyone's contract on it. And I know I agree. Now two things are true. The NCAA is going to shit and getting destroyed. Also, Tennessee might have cheated a whole lot. So, so uh, well, two I mean, separate look, things, two but, separate but, things. But but here's the deal. It's like, you know, uh, what? They were paying players to come to Tennessee. Uh, well, no shit. Right. Like, I mean, that's what is everybody doing? Like, yeah, no, I agree. What, what are we talking I agree. about? The, the, the problem is they wrote it into the state law that they weren't allowed to and then did it anyway. So, again, yeah, I, I OK, I did morally, but, but, morally, we all agree paid the damn players like we deserve to get they deserve to get paid tennessee wants to pay players everybody else wants to pay players the ncaa can't hurt them that hard because the ncaa is on its last gasp here but it does not mean that tennessee didn't violate their own rules but which we'll see but but again but again it's like one of those things where you can understand that they violated the rules sure um but can you prove it legally is what i'll be interested to see can you you know is is there not enough wiggle room to be like no we were paying him for advertising or whatnot i mean i don't know i know know they had a really interesting contract set up where they basically own um iamaliava's rights to the point where like even if he goes somewhere else right allegedly 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 oh allegedly (laughs) okay uh look i'm cheering for the vols dude i like it uh reminds me of being a kid the vols being good again so there you go i would not i i I hope that they um i hope that they win this uh rift with the ncaa the ncaa ultimately will lose and that's all that really matters here so uh t-bob always a pleasure man thank you so much for giving us some time we do appreciate it and uh obviously appreciate all your work you can catch them all over the place all over the internet you got snaps you got local radio there in louisiana so thank you Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate you, man. You're right on, Braden. Take it easy, man.